0: when it comes to the country of north korea and no one should be surprised at this moment and regarding the ongoing missile testing on one hand it poses major threat not only to the west and also more countries within the international community start to get more anxious regarding such behavior but recently if you follow the news that one image has been circulating around the world and which is Kim Jong-un brought his daughter to the public for the first time. And it's not just any location, it's really to the missile testing place. Now, on one hand, how should we understand such behavior under Kim Jong-un? Or is that only just an image that we should ignore and there's no other effects? So that's why today it's our great honor to speak to and again, if you follow our show that you should be familiar with our previous distinguished guest, which is Jenny Town. Now Jenny, it's a senior fellow at the Stimson Center and as the director of Stimson's 38 North program, her experience in North Korea, US DPRK relations and US ROK Alliance and Northeast Asia regional security. Now, Jenny, happy 2020, uh, 2023, and welcome back to the missing piece.
1: Thank you, and happy new year to you too.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Now, again, Jenny, I, I, before we get started, I want to read something to you. Again, this is um quite. Uh, um, Astonishing for all of us. And again, this is came from the article. uh, And I quote, Back in 2018, when Mike Pompeo served as the CIA director, made a secret visit to North Korea. Now, When he met up with Kim Jong-un, this is something that he was directly told by Kim Jong-un. And I quote, he said, I'm a father and a husband, and I have children. And I do not want my children to carry the nuclear weapon on their back their whole life. Now, Jenny, given the fact, as I mentioned before, for the first time that Kim Jong-un brought his daughter to the public, now again, based on what he told Mike Pompeo, how should we understand the behavior of Kim Jong Un today, and also, how much should we believe that when he said he did not want the nuclear weapon on their on the, on his children's back, the whole life? What does that
1: mean? Well, I think you know if you think back to twenty eighteen, there was a real opportunity there. The North Koreans really were willing to negotiate. They did a number of unilateral steps. They made statements like that. They even talked to, um, in public speeches to the people, they talked about how they were on a road to denuclearization. They were committed to denuclearization. And these are messages um, to the public uh, that weren't necessary, right? If they just wanted to keep it a secret and leave their options open, they wouldn't have made these public statements. But what we've seen since 2019, since the, you know, the failure of the Hanoi summit to move the agenda forward, the failure to get that agreement, that breakthrough that Kim Jong-un had built expectation um, of amongst the people, we've seen a real shift in how North Korea talks about its nuclear program, Mm. Um, Back in you know 2018 and prior to 2018, any statements made about the nuclear program were all very conditional. As long as you know, or if the as long as the U.S. maintains its hostile policy, we need nuclear weapons, right? It wasn't a we're doing this just to have nuclear weapons. It was very much. It gave the purpose of it was you know to counter U.S. actions, right? Um, What we've seen, especially in the last year or two, is that that conditionality has dropped. Mm. No longer do they talk about as long as. Now it is we are a nuclear weapon state. Mm. And um, there's a lot less effort to justify that. Um, And we saw this in the new nuclear law that they they issued in September of last year um, with the the. the beginning of it, again, is very straightforward. We are a nuclear weapons state. We are a responsible nuclear weapons state. And they talk about this. Whereas when they issued the nuclear law initially in 2013, um, they spent so much time trying to justify um, why they had nuclear weapons. Mm. Um, so I think if you if you look at the picture and the optics of having Kim Jong-un's daughter um, at a missile launch and taking her to a missile factory and having her part of that, you know, nuclear narrative. Um, I think it really does reinforce. This shift in how the country is thinking about its nuclear weapons program that you know, the uh, when they announced the new law in 2022 in September, um, you know, not only was there no conditionality, um, but there was a lot of discussion too of you know, like this is no longer to be bargained for, this is you know really that this is now here to stay Mm. and i think the optics of how they use the daughter in those images reinforces this notion that it's here for generations Mm. um that it is you know for the protection of the country and the people and the future not just you know a bargaining chip not just something you know for the regime itself and so i think that's a lot of the purpose of why we saw her there why we saw her in in that capacity
0: Jenny based on our previous conversation again just go along with what you said for the protection of the country and also for uh, this uh, defense system for North Korea. But one thing that we have to understand that again, for decades, when we discuss North Korea, we always believe or always say that the leader is willing to sacrifice everything in order to advance the nuclear weapons development, which is, you know, today for us, it's hard to believe because we know in reality, people are actually suffering this country and especially we talk about this economic factor but on the other hand let's bring the daughter into the picture what kind of figure or what kind of message does kim jong-un want to send it to the daughter because one thing you have to understand it's good that we have this protective system it's good that we have protection for the country but meanwhile in reality the daughter it's not what cannot be fooled enough to understand people are actually suffering I mean, we can't sacrifice citizens in order to benefit as individual. Does that make sense? So how should we understand Un's motive or motivation to, for her daughter to understand this is such a grand project? But meanwhile, there are still many loopholes or many uh, drawbacks for the country. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, there there have also been like unofficial reports that exactly this, that there's been a lot of grumbling about why do we keep doing all these missile tests when the economy is bad, when it's hard to get food, when there's, you know, for the average North Korean citizen, it's a very difficult time. Mm. Um, and I do think, again, that having the daughter there does sort of um, create a different narrative about the nuclear weapons program or tries to create a different narrative about the nuclear weapons program. And what we've heard in some of these from some of these unofficial sources as well, though, is that it was actually very well received domestically, that she was very well received domestically, Mm. where, again, the it wasn't just to show off that we have nuclear weapons, um, but that there was a it it gave somewhat greater purpose um, to the nuclear weapons program. And I think, you know, having, um you know last year was such a crazy year in mm. general. Um, on the geopolitical side of the equation and the invasion of Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, mm. I think also plays a lot into the stronger rhetoric, the um even some of the the nuclear doctrine. Mm. Um, there is a sense of uh A sense of you know like we will not be another new ukraine Mm. we will protect ourselves we have nuclear weapons we'll use them if we need to because we we don't want to be an easy target Mm. and again i think that also plays into this narrative of you know like that they take their nuclear weapons program more seriously now um and it is a much more dire situation a much more dangerous geopolitical environment in general so I think the daughter you know there's a few ways in which it works I think it does help kind of soften the image of Kim Jong-un also as you know uh, not only just the father of the nation but an actual father a family man this is a you know a a propaganda portrayal that he's been a persona um, that he's been trying to cultivate since he started. Um, you know, he often has his wife with him. He always has the sister with him. He's always, you know, out in the public, sort of a man of the people, um, with the soldiers, with the workers. Um, you know, there's that famous image um, from back in 2017, I think, with the the one soldier on his back, you know, riding piggyback, and they're all laughing. Um, I think this also helps reinforce that and reinvent it in a certain way of. Of making him, you know, not just a a, a war-driven dictator, but you know, but there's the, he's also the family man. He's doing this for the country um, and for the protection and of the future of the country as sort of the father of the country.
0: Mm. Jenny. Now, the next question is: How much do you think the daughter can understand the purpose? Behind such strategic move. And the reason why I'm asking is again um, throughout the media, and also, of course, that when we study the country of North Korea, and believe me that back in 2017, when I was able to travel to North Korea to Pyongyang for the first time, and I stay there for the whole week, again, despite the language barriers, but I was still able to communicate with the locals and you know, etc. But one idea or one kind of impression that I got was not only that, you know, we'll look at the father and also the grandfather, i look at the Kim Jong-un, North Korean tend to see the whole Kim's family as what we called saviors or, you know, this, this so-called supreme beings, because not only that revolutionized the country, but also that brought much greater prosperity to the people. I mean, again, that's a question mark. But meanwhile, Jenny, again, going back to the question, how much do you think the daughter today can understand based on how Kim Jong-un is planning or is about to plan the future for the country? And that's number one. And number two, for this upcoming new year or for this upcoming year, do you think that we are going to see some soft tones or different images of Kim Jong-un? Because, again, you mentioned the sister before. The sister has been very much a straightforward, rhetorically speaking, uh, especially towards South Korea or especially towards the U.S., So is that a message Kim Jong-un trying to send to the world to say, Hey, listen, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to let the sister do the talk. I'm going to maybe let the daughter to shoulder a future responsibility, etc. How wrongful are we regarding those speculations or how accurate are we right about the speculations?
1: Well, you know, she's nine. (laughs) I don't think she understands, you know any kind of greater political agenda here or how she's being used. Mm. Um I'm sure she was directed to do certain things. Mm. I'm sure you know the there there's a lot of really purposeful images showing her affection towards him and I think mm. she probably feels that mm. <laughs> um, but uh, but is she going to take on a bigger role? Uh, you know, no. Will they use her in the media more to try and again soften the image or create more of this sort of fatherly story? Mm. Um, we don't. We don't know. Uh, We don't know if this is really, you know, a trend that we're seeing that we will see, you know, the daughter more. We don't know why they chose her and not one of her other siblings or included all of the children. Um, And it's really unusual as well for a North Korean leader to have pictures of his young children Mm. with him. you know, Kim Il Sung. There were family portraits, uh, you know, in the media, but it was generally when the kids were older. Mm. So this is new, <laughs> um, new for Kim Jong Un to show his children. Um, I, I I have to think that you know one of the reasons why they chose her and not the others is because her name was already known because of mm. Dennis Rodman's um, visit, uh, where he came back and talked about where he thought that Kim Jong-un was a good dad to his mm. little daughter, Ju-ae. So I, I think that probably is why they chose her and not the others, um, especially the boy. There's so believed to be a son. Um, it's never actually been confirmed, but the, the strong belief that there is a son there. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think with the sister, with Kim Yo-jung, her role has been um, a... A you know a political and military role like she's there as his you know right hand, um, and I think a lot of times when she's making the harsh statements, uh, one it gives her experience in the military realm. It gives her experience in the political realm to help build up her bona fides, um, but it also gives Kim Jong Un some plausible deniability, right? Mm -hmm. It's not official state policy, even though it's a high-level authoritative statement, but it gives him the room then to change his mind, to do something different, Mm -hmm. to cut it off if it needs to. And and we saw that um, back in 2019 when, uh, when they were talking about the leaflets and they got mad and they blew up the liaison office. Um, and she kept threatening, Kim Yo-jong kept threatening that there was a bigger military action coming and a bigger mm-hmm. military campaign coming. Um, and at some point, Kim Jong-un said, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So it gives, you know, she's authoritative. She is a Kim um, and she is sort of, you know, has the deference of that. But. Still, it's not Kim Jong-un. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think they use her in that way to deliver messages in a serious tone without fully committing to whatever it is that she says that they're going to do. Um, but, you know, with Kim Jue being at three different, being seen in three different um, venues now and all military-related, um, you know, again, I think we just don't know. <laughs> we don't know where it goes from here. If it's just to really emphasize the current political message they're trying to send, um, or if, you know, if if she'll start to come up in in other things as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Kim Yo jung is always at the missile test with her brother. She was there this time too, but way in the background because the focus was on showing the family, <laughs> watching this, mm-hmm. the wife and, and child. Um, and, you know, we, we just have to wait and see at this point where they take it from here.
0: Clearly, Jenny, we know that for North Korea or for Pyongyang, you know, again, the, the idea of nuclearization or the missile testing... Will never be abandoned, you know, at least for now. But meanwhile, let's look at the neighboring country, which is South Korea. And again, as we mentioned before, the taping that we know because of the situation changes on the daily basis. And of course, as a neighboring country, uh, 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 along with uh, North Korea, the South Korean government constantly feels. Being threatened, you know, again, rhetorically speaking, or we're looking at militarily uh, militarily speaking. So again, based on the uh, latest information that we know that the. Uh current South Korean government is also gearing up a brand new idea, which is to uh, building the nuclear weapons of its own, or ask the United States to deploy them on the Korean Peninsula. And again, currently there are, again, statistically speaking, there are more than 28,000 American troops are still based in South Korea, and which is a commitment to show between the two countries. Now, Jenny, I want you to help to understand what is happening in South Korea or what is going to happen in South Korea if South Korea is hoping to strengthen or even to build its own nuclear weapons a defense system or maybe under the wings of U.S. How effective do you think that will be? And also, what do you think that will say to the North Koreans?
1: Well, you know, honestly, this is... Um, a discussion that has been happening in South Korea for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that you know this is the first presidential statement talking about how this is an option mm. um, to be considered—that's new. But it is a policy option that they have been considering and have been talking about in policy circles and defense circles, um, especially over the past you know few years. Um, And, you know, of which the public narrative on on nuclear weapons in South Korea, there's overwhelming public support for that. Um, What is not really well understood is what would be the consequences Mm. of actually taking those actions. And within the policy debates as well, um, you know, that's always a constant um, question that comes up. Not just the should we do it, but what will it cost us politically? reputationally, diplomatically. Um, and, and I don't think we have a really clear answer for that, but it has been one reason why they haven't made it an official you know, policy, we haven't decided to go down that route yet. Um, but I think you know, a lot of the rationale of you know, why it's grown in popularity is because of North Korea because North Korea has made such advancements in their nuclear weapons program, Mm. um, where there's just a growing sentiment that the only thing that will prevent North Korea from using nuclear weapons is for South Korea to have nuclear, is nuclear weapons, right? Mm. Um, And the way that extended deterrence works is that, yes, the U.S. is committed, you know, to South Korea's defense, um, but, You know, South Korea is not involved in the actual decision-making process Mm. of how to use nuclear weapons, when to use nuclear weapons, and that that creates a lot of anxiety, right? (laughs) You know, South Korea is far away from the U.S. That's right. What happens if something happens in the middle of the night? Will the U.S. president get up in time to make a decision? How long will it take to make a decision? Mm. Um, You know what? what is the decision they'd make? Um, Right now, there is no formal uh, requirement um, for the US president to actually consult the South Korean president during wartime, during conflict Mm. um, on the use of nuclear weapons, although most likely they would, I'm I'm assuming they would. Um, But for the South Koreans, that that raises a lot of anxieties, um, especially as the geopolitical environment worsens. you know, I think over the past year, the South Koreans have been incredibly worried about U.S.-China conflict um, over Taiwan mm. and that that would go kinetic. And what would that mean in terms of what would North Korea do in that moment, right? Would they choose that moment to also do some kind of attack on South Korea? And, you know, as much as the U.S. is committed to, those, to that defense, um, would they be able to respond? Uh, if they're already tied up in something else, mm. right? Um, because again, a lot of U.S. reinforcements, they have conventional forces on the ground, they can do a conventional response, but the, the, the flow in forces have to flow in from Japan, but what if they're already tied up in other conflict? Mm. Um, you know, So there's a, a lot of reasons why uh, the South Koreans and the Japanese are, are anxious, um, and a lot of reasons why, you know, as much as the, they, they believe in the alliance um, and they trust the alliance, um, but they question, is it enough? Mm. And so, you know, especially then after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, I think anxiety spiked all over um, with non-nuclear weapons countries that have conflicts with countries with nuclear weapons because it's really the first time we've seen this kind of violation of the NPT of a nuclear weapons state invading, attacking a non-nuclear weapons state and threatening to use nuclear weapons. And so it really has broken that trust mm. um, and, and really fueled the anxieties of like do we really need nuclear weapons to prevent that from happening to us so it is a debate that is gaining traction Mm. gaining support in south korea um you know i I don't think any decisions are going to be made anytime soon but it is it is certainly becoming a much more mainstream discourse about what their options are for the future
0: Jenny, I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, again, you kept on repeating the information regarding the war in Ukraine. Of course, that today we're still discussing whether um, Vladimir Putin is willing to cave or willing to give up this whole grand plan, invasion of Ukraine. But meanwhile, how much do you think... That the nation or the leader of North Korea actually observing or understanding the consequences of Vladimir Putin's behavior, because we know again, even given the fact, not too long ago, uh, the current Ukrainian president uh, um, Zelensky was invited, you know, to the to the uh, to the U.S. and also he gave this profound speech in front of the Congress. You know, that was arousing, and of course, that was so encouraging, uplifting. But meanwhile, that we have heard and also we have seen the attitude from Putin as well, and that did not really hurt him a bit. So from from, from 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 your perspective, and you're the expert, how much do you think the North Koreans or North Korean government today is actually watching the ongoing war in Ukraine and also looking at the attitude of Zelensky and Putin at the same time?
1: I mean I, I think everyone's watching closely. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it is an interesting question of what is Kim Jong-un learning from this? Mm. What is North Korea learning from that experience? And, and again, I, I do think you've seen, we've already seen, again, the rhetoric become much more aggressive. Mm. Um, I think, you know, North Korea has clearly chosen sides on this as well and, and really pledged their support to Russia. That's right. I think they also see it, you know, as an opportunity themselves Um, Because as Russia's pariah status grows, then North Korea's support becomes more valuable. Mm. Um, So, you know, the North Koreans do see opportunity in this, um, both to increase trade, increase cooperation. Um, And in the past year, they've they've said this about both China and Russia of increasing cooperation, not just political, but also military Mm. um, and tactical. So, you know, they've... They've chosen sides, they've, you know, they definitely see opportunities uh, in, you know, to help Russia, knowing that there will be benefits from it at some point. And, you know, those benefits might be relatively small compared Mm. to what it would have been if we'd gotten a deal and, you know, they'd been able to improve relations with the US, but it's so much less effort, right? It's easy. They don't have to negotiate for like years and years and years to see something. Um, you know, they can make a couple public statements, you know, uh, supporting Putin and things happen. Right. right? So I think, you know, the, what they're learning, I think it does raise anxieties in North Korea as much as it does everywhere else Mm. about the vulnerabilities, um, that they have to larger countries with nuclear weapons. Mm. Um, But I do think, you know, there's there's also, you know, I, I, you know, because North Korea is already a pariah state, Mm. (laughs) I don't think, you know, they really um, I don't know if they're really watching as closely about how the world is responding to Putin Mm. or Zelensky because, um, you know, in their mind, they've already been on the outs for so long. Right. Very
0: used to it, right? Right. Well, Jenny, you're right. Again, as we mentioned before, right now we are only two weeks into the year of 2023 and there's no way that we can predict what's going to happen for the rest of the 11 months but meanwhile we know that as long as us and china or any other countries are willing to work collaboratively in terms of minimizing the threat it's not just about north korea or any other countries that at the end we should be able to see some meaningful and productive results Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, it's my great honor to speak to Jenny Town. And again, Jenny, it's a senior fellow at the Stimson Center. And also she served as the director of the Stimson's 38 North program. She's very experienced in North Korea, US DPRK relations, and of course that you can find her work on social media and also through the Stimson Center. Again, Jenny, thank you so much for taking your time on this Saturday morning to join our show. And we really appreciate your time. Again, we'd love to have you back on the show again as we continue to monitor the progress within North Korea. Thank you so much for doing this.